Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking about Monday nights, no good, awful, pitiful, very bad day. Uh, we'll be talking um, some bulls. We've got some fun, interact things to do. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You could see the Blackhawks coaches of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. The season's right here. It's upon us. So head on over to icehogs.com. Get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, tickets, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, going into this game against the Steelers, I figured that they were going to lose because I figured that the defensive front of the Pittsburgh Steelers would just dominate the Bears' offensive line, mm-hmm. and we would see a game sort of like what we saw with the the Cleveland Browns. Um, and we saw a lot more offense than I expected. The Bears were... Um, able to do some things at points, but in the end, you saw the same Bears bullshit over and over, and they had to overcome some of the worst officiating I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, okay, so let's look at last night's game from the perspective of the football fan. Not just the Bears fan, from the football fan. It's Monday Night Football, nationally televised. A lot of people are watching. And what you saw were two really big things. One, you saw some awful officiating. And when that is the big topic of conversation by the national media, you know it was bad. On the other hand... Not just it was the announcers of the game, the national media... And the fans, and not just the fans of the Bears, everybody. it was everybody that watched that game was like, oof, that was bad. I even saw a, a TikTok where it was a guy who was like, I'm a diehard Steelers fan, and I desperately wanted to win this game. And he's like, I feel like I, you know, Steelers fans owe the Bears fans of apology for how bad that officiating was. When urinating tree says that was a farce, big Steelers fan, you know it was bad. And that was a big source of frustration. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. Honestly, Sean, in the first quarter, I thought we were heading for another Tampa Bay game. I it, it was the Bears got to an off to an awful start. It was brutal. But despite the range of emotions, frustration, anger, sadness, I think what at the end of the day we have to take away from this game is Justin Fields 
Last week, he took a step forward. Last night, he took a leap forward. And we might be looking at this game in the long run as, you know what? The outcome is exactly what you'd want. We're not going on some phony playoff run that's going to keep the current regime here. But we're also seeing the growth of Justin Fields. And that really is, at this point, the ultimate goal. It's unfortunate, and it's it's quite irritating that a combination of the Bears shooting themselves in the foot and having to overcome some unbelievable trash calls had to ruin that great moment for Justin Fields. But you know what? Justin Fields went out there in the second half, and he balled out. Matt Nagy was saying he was smiling on the sidelines, saying, this is my moment, I'm ready for this. That's exactly the type of attitude you want from Justin Fields. And when we mean balling out in the second half, I mean he balled out in the second half. He made some unbelievably great throws. And that's another big topic of conversation, not only among Bears fans, but among many people. This is one of the many talented quarterbacks from this last rookie class, and he shined. He shined on Monday Night Football. And like I said, it's it's frustrating as hell that the team lost for various reasons. Frustrating as hell. But It's not a various reasons. It's one reason. The poor officiating cost the Bears that game. I mean, I, I, I never I never want to say that. I will say it contributed or no, the Bears would have won this game if the officials weren't atrocious. And the officials were so bad. I will go back to Justin Fields in a second, but I'm just going to put this as a teaser is the officials were so bad that I think an independent entity needs to go in and to see if there's point shaving. I agree. There needs to be some sort of investigation. I do. And I'm going to get on my opinions about that in a minute. But Justin Fields was fantastic. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And honestly, I thought that that game was the perfect opportunity for Justin Fields to show who he is, because this is a big stage. This isn't playing the Lions at noon. This is Monday night football on the road in one of the hardest stadiums to play in, in Pittsburgh. It was the perfect opportunity to showcase what he can do, and he did it. And it was a great sign. It was, it warmed my heart seeing him do what he did in that second half. The throw he made to Jimmy Graham downfield, the throw he made to Allen Robinson down the sideline, the touchdown throw to Darnell Mooney. It was just absolute beauty. And he looked cool, confident, and it looked like he legitimately was happy to be in that situation. Like it was ideal for him. He's like, there is no better chance for me than to go here on the road and uh, put together a go-ahead drive uh, with just minutes left in the game and take the lead here. He was ready for that opportunity, and he made the absolute most of it. It was awesome, awesome to see despite the outcome. I'm just going to put this out there. Justin Fields was pro football focus's highest-graded quarterback in Week 9. Mm-hmm. That says a lot. I mean, that says a whole lot about where Justin Fields is. And the Steelers have a good defense. Yeah, Um, they do. 
And, you know, he didn't get any extra time throwing the ball, uh, you know, and the bears didn't do him any favors in helping him either. Uh, Olin Krutz kept tweeting out during the game, zero boots, uh, zero uh, rollouts. <laughs> and just kept tweeting it because there wasn't one until I think the third quarter, there was a, there was a boot and, you know, you're not helping him out. You're not, uh, you're not gearing the offense towards him. And it's, it's just frustrating, but he's doing well despite Matt Nagy's offense, which is impressive. I'm not expecting much from Matt Nagy. I'm really not, but I am praying for the outside chance that Matt Nagy says, you know what? If this kid can do all this, then let's cater more to him and let him run the show. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think so at all. I could just dream. I really could. Because what you saw last night, when you, I mean, it was, it was more than just him making some dink dong completions and eating just little chunks of yard by little chunks of yard. He was throwing dimes downfield. I mean, that, oh, that sideline throw to Allen Robinson was just a chef's kiss. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> the, the passes that he's completing deep, you're just like, when, when have we seen Bears quarterbacks do that? You know, we're always, the team goes, oh, you know, oh, they threw it, they're throwing it deep. Eh, I, they're not going to complete that. It's going to be. 10 yards, yards above Mooney's head. Yeah, it's going to be 10 yards over or five yards under. And right. um, it just, but now we're completing those. And the and, ball's out of his hand. They're like yeah. just perfect spiral, just rockets. And the fact that, again, that he went up against one of the best defenses in the NFL in a hostile stadium during prime time and did what he did. Like, all right. That's, that is a, the makings of a good quarterback. I also love the fact that after the game, I don't know if you heard this, how emotional Roquan Smith was. And Roquan Smith had another really impressive night. I mean, Roquan Smith, without Khalil Mack on the field, he is far and away their best defensive player. And it sounded like he was very emotional, very emotional about the whole thing. And, you know, we can talk about, the relationship between the players and Nagy, you know, I, I don't really know what it is behind the scenes, but I, I feel like whether you're an offensive player or a defensive player, these guys want to rally and win for Justin Fields. I know it's cliche. I know it's very, very, very just, Oh, you know, of course state of the obvious, but remember when Jay Cutler was the quarterback and there was clear division in that locker room. And there were very obvious, there were people that in that locker room on that team that did not like Jay Cutler. But I just, I see a team that is all in already around this quarterback. And I think that says a lot. Yeah. It says it, a lot. You know, when you have your defense is willing to run through walls for your quarterback, that says a lot. It says a whole lot. You know, you see that, you see that in Buffalo. Um, you see that in Green Bay. Um, 
you know, you, you see it in different places. And you're like, all right, that's, that's what we want here. And, and that's what we have. There's a reason that right from the jump that the veterans all wanted Justin Fields to be the starting quarterback. Uh, not, not because, I mean, it's clear Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton would have started the season doing better than Justin Fields. He's a veteran that has a pretty impressive resume in his career. Justin Fields is a rookie. You're going to go through all those rookie mistakes, but it's, they just sensed the greatness that, you know, he's capable of achieving and they just, you know, you want to be part of that. You, you don't, you don't rally behind Andy Dalton. No offense to Andy Dalton. You just, that's, that's not the guy he is. You know, he he's probably a, a leader in the huddle um, and whatnot, you can be a but and say, yeah, we like respect Dandy. We're going to play with him, but you know, it's, he's not at this point of his career. He's not going to bring you that energy, that next level of emotion where a talented young rookie quarterback with his life in football ahead of him, that's going to rally you together. You know, that's going to be, it's going to be kind of like a motivational, again, this is all very cliche, but I think there's something to it. There's something to be said about how a young, talented guy coming into his own can just really bring a team together. And especially one that has a good attitude, um, a winning attitude, an attitude that's not going to give in or give up. And that's what Justin Fields has shown. And he's shown so much maturity and so much intelligence, you know, getting drawing off sides on a hard count when you're in your seventh career start says a lot about your maturity, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> I think, I think, you, you know, you want to, this is part of the reason why I, I think it's, I think it's makes sense to cut ties with Matt Nagy right now. And I'm going to tell you why we're going to, we're going to go past the, the obvious of he's a fucking terrible head coach, but you don't want to lose this camaraderie. You don't want to lose the momentum of Justin Fields. You don't want to lose the, the raw rawness of this all. If you continue to lose without changes being made, if you, if you make changes, you, you can continue that momentum. And even if you're losing changes on the horizon, we're we're going to have a new head coach we're going to have a new system we can build on not the same old that's failing us and it's the perfect time you've got two weeks you had two weeks before your next game is make pull the plug keep this momentum going without dragging it down you're going to get a better performance out of Allen robinson you're going to get uh, you know, better performances by by certain key guys that just clearly don't like Matt, like Matt Nagy. I think it's time. Well, I think it would be a time too during the bye week. I'm just not expecting it. You know, I, I I'm not expecting it, unfortunately. Um, and you know, uh, the one thing I will give Matt Nagy, one thing I will give Matt Nagy. 
I'm not saying suddenly he's going to be the offensive guru. Please, please, please do not take this as that. But, you know, there was a lot made of the offense working better without Matt Nagy there against San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, Matt Nagy came back and in the first half, boy, did it look like it was going to revert back to awfulness. But the second half and they ended up doing what they were doing, boy, at least for his sake, that they actually scored more than 20 points in the game and had a chance to win thanks to the offense under Matt Nagy. You don't see that very often, but you know, to your point, to your point, this is not going to be the regime that I want to have around with Justin Fields continuing to climb up. It's, you know, it's not, I, I we're, we're past that. We're past that. What I would love to see which again, you're not going to, but I would love to, to see ownership or somebody say, look, we might be seeing progress from Justin Fields, but we're still not winning. We can't keep holding us to this mediocre standard. That's what really needs to happen. Again, you're not going to see it. Don't hold your breath. But with the bye week coming up, you have your bye week dead in the middle of the season. Like your your season is split at your bye week half and half, and you're three and six, and your chances of the playoffs are slim to none. Frankly, I think it's pretty much none. But you know, you're always going to tell yourself you're in it until it's absolute zero. So I just all I can do is hope that the higher ups are really evaluating the situation and saying, "Look, we can't continue these ways." You know, we're trying to win. And while you're seeing great progress from Justin Fields, you're not winning. Even if you did win yesterday, you'd still be going to the bye week sub 500. Now, four and five and three and six is quite the difference, but still, still, you'd be sub 500. And then coming out of the bye week, you have a very tough game because I believe it's the Ravens out of the bye, if I remember correctly. It is the Ravens out of the bye. And if I am recalling correctly, is Matt Nagy has never won the game after a bye. When's the last time the Bears have won the game after a bye, period? <laughs> you remember remember 2017 with John Fox? Remember when they got crapped out of that touchdown call with Zach Miller where he almost died in New Orleans and that cost them the game? They had the bye week after that. And after that bye week was the infamous Brett Hundley loss to the Packers at Soldier Field. That that injury uh, on that, what should have been a touchdown, and then they took it away from him, that injury was brutal. I was at Gary's house watching that game, and he went upstairs to get something for one of his kids, and he came back and he's like, what did I miss? I was like, don't watch the replay. And he's like, I'm going to watch the replay. I'm like, I swear, don't watch that replay. I'm like, it's gross. I'm like, you don't need to see it. And he watched it and he was like, why'd you let me watch that? <laughs> like, I was trying to tell you not to. <laughs> I was trying. Gary, don't watch next time it. Sean says don't watch something, don't watch it. Oh, it, it's, it's tough. Like, it's like burned into my brain. It, he's... He's one of my all-time favorite bears, Zach Miller. I love the guy. And 
I love the fact that that one medical assistant or doctor, whoever it was, said, yo, this is serious. He needs to go to a hospital right now because that saved his life. And I love how Zach Miller has turned everything that could have been so tragic, that play that ended his career, but he turned it, you know, turned everything mm-hmm. into such a positive. And the way he, you know, he's staying, you know, within Bears fandom is really admirable. Like, I will always be a huge fan of Zach Miller. It was heartbreaking that his career had to end like that because he was a good he was a good player. Yeah, I I mean I believe I believe he almost had to have that leg amputated after. Yeah, you know, not immediately, but like a while after that. Yeah. That was a bad injury. Oh, and, just you awful. Know, you know, you see you see other injuries like the Joe Theismann and things like you're like okay, those look gross or, but. Um, you know, when you get the nerve involvement, oh. yeah, just, just, just awful. Just awful. So glad he's still here and with us today. <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if the bears have won after their bye week since 2013. I wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me. Because 2016, the year before 2017, they won three games total. So I don't think that was in there. And 2015, I don't remember when their bye was. But, you know, you could be right. It's It's been a long time since they won after their bye. And, I mean, you know, in 2018, I remember their bye week was after the Thanksgiving game. And then they lost to the Giants. That was excusable because that was a trap game and they ended up winning the North by a lot anyway. So whatever. Um, but all those other times it's, it's remarkable how bad that team looked coming out of the bye. Uh, wasn't last year, the blowout at Lambeau field. Wasn't that, wasn't that the game after the bye? Uh, maybe. I know it was a loss. I just, um, I just can't, I thought it was that one, but I could be mistaken. But, you know, you're looking at a situation now where you're coming off this bye and you got to play Baltimore. And that is no easy task. I'm not saying Baltimore is invincible because, frankly, no AFC team is looks completely unbeatable. Every one of those AFC teams looks like they have chinks in the armor, but still, it's no easy task to face against Lamar Jackson. Yeah, let's see. 2018, they lost the the game after the bye to the Dolphins. Um, <clears throat> see, twenty. Wait, that the, it was the game at it was the 20, Dolphins game. Twenty eighteen was the Dolphins. Was it? Oh, maybe I'm just thinking. Um, I, I was thinking the Giants game because the Bears played on Thursday and they didn't play until the next Sunday. So that's probably what I was thinking. Yeah, that was like okay. a week and a half. Um, let's see. Um, da, da, da. 2017 was the loss of the Packers. Mm-hmm. Brett Hundley, yeah, the, the pile on. We you won the challenge, but you lost the ball. Oh. Um. Let's see, 2016. <clears throat> Uh, uh, uh. All right. 
He had 13 losses to choose from. The Buccaneer, the Buccaneers uh, game was 2016. Oh no, that was the Chris Conti revenge game. Yeah. Um, let's see, 2015. 2015, 2015. That wasn't after after the Thanksgiving upset at Green Bay, was it? 2015 was uh, 23-20 loss to the Vikings. Oh, yeah, they had the lead late. Yeah, okay, I remember that game. That was like the first win for the Vikings at Soldier Field since like 2007. Let's see 2014 oh 2014 was uh wasn't that that was green bay the that green was the bay. embarrassment the yep. massacre yeah because so they had they had the, the the blowout by the patriots which then our houston tours acl celebrating right. sack of the backup um then you had your bye week and then the blowout of by the packers that was the historical embarrassment. And then you had back-to-back wins. And then you ended the season with five straight losses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So that's... Man, the Bears are pathetic after the bye. Did they win after the bye in 2013? I'm looking. Yes. 2013 was the last time. They beat the Packers 27 to 20. Josh McCown. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just for the crap of it, I don't remember when the bye week was in 2012. I know they remember that year they started seven and one, and then they went ten and six and missed the playoffs. I just don't remember when the bye week was. <clears throat> they won going into the bye week. They beat Jacksonville 41 to three. Yeah, I remember that. And then they followed it up. They beat the Lions after the bye 13 to seven. Oh yeah, okay. That was at Soldier Field, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that buy was very early. Like the buy was October fourteenth. Yeah. So it was week six. Well, um, I think the Bears have the most ideal buy you can have, like right in the middle of the season. They have like an like the schedule composition this year is pretty good. No consecutive road games. And the bye in the middle of the season. It's just the opponents are tough. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but. <laughs> uh, and they but won in 2011. They won. They won coming out of the bye too. They went to Philadelphia, to Philadelphia and won. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, they've been. Since since Lovey Smith, they've been terrible at after games after the bye. Trustman, Fox, Nagy have a combined one win after the bye week. There you go. <laughs> that is brutal to think you've three coaches and then they have one combined win after the bye. And that's nearly a decade's worth. Not quite, but nearly a decade's worth of seasons. Right. Um, but, go, but going back to this game, you know, we've established Justin Fields that we liked. Um, another player I think is on the rise. 
Larry Borum is mm-hmm. I like him. I, I, I think he's going to be a good player and I'm hoping, I mean, we should be seeing Tevin Jenkins soon and I don't know what they do with him now because you're not going to bench Jason Peters. Larry Borum has been pretty darn good. Um, is I don't know if uh, the, the other option is you kick one of your guards to center, sit Mustafer, move Borum into the guard, and then put Tevin Jenkins on the right side. Because both guards have experience at center. Is James Daniels was a center in college. And Whitey Coathair was a center for a couple of years for the Bears. Whitey coat hair. <laughs> He'll never not be whitey coat hair to me. <laughs> oh, Wani. Why? But the whitey coat hair. Yeah, whitey coat hair. <laughs> but I, I mean, that might be your best option because uh, Sam Mustafer has been brutal this year. And I know it hasn't been easy because he's just faced like, Big nose tackle after big nose tackle, but he's brutal. And, you know, so maybe you kick, maybe you kick one of those guards into center, sit Mustafer, and move Borum to guard and Tevin Jenkins to right tackle. Um, you know, and, and try to ride the rest of the season out with that uh, because I, I don't think you bring back Jason Peters next year because he's going to be 400 years old. Yeah. I have a feeling this is going to be his last year in the NFL. I think so too. <clears throat> um, but he's playing well. Um, For his age. Yeah, he is. He's, he's been the bears best offensive lineman. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> you know, the bears need more from the wide receivers. Uh, it was nice to see David Montgomery come back and mm-hmm. just look like he never was injured ever. Yeah, that was a good sign. That was a really good sign because Dave Montgomery having that dynamic run game back and Hey, you know what? Khalil Herbert did a hell of a job filling in, but having him back and you'll be able to mix and match Khalil Herbert and Montgomery more. That's a good sign. You know, and you finally threw a screen pass. Uh, to David Montgomery and it, it turned out well, it was like your first screen pass. I, th- I think maybe the second screen pass they've thrown this season. They just don't throw screen passes. And it's funny because, you know, Matt Nagy will be like, Oh, I learned under Andy Reed. Andy Reed has 400 different screen passes. It's, it's like you just went and stole the, the tight end plays and, and forgot about everything else. <laughs> he's he's stealing all the different Andy Reid books as he's leaving Kansas City. He's putting it in the back of his pickup truck. He starts driving off and all but one book just go flying out the back. You just see him. He's got it stuffed in his pants and, he, <laughs> and he's got like his sweatpants on. People are looking and he's like, he's like, uh, what are you, what are you checking out my goods? And they're like, uh, does he have a notebook? in his pants it's just like he's like waddling as he's going along it's like an eight and a half by 11 square protrude or a rectangular protrusion out of (laughs) 
man but yeah it's it's ridiculous so but it was nice to see david montgomery come back and and look good i would have liked to have seen a little more khalil herbert too and give that one-two punch um but you know they're they didn't sustain enough offensive plays to be able to do that defensively they miss akeem or uh Khalil Mack, they Big miss time. him bad. Big they, time. They have not gotten any pressure on quarterback since he's gone down. I'm going to say this. Regardless of the refing last night, I think if Khalil Mack plays, they win. Probably, because you would have got you would have got to Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Um, because anytime they got to him, he's not the same Ben Roethlisberger when he was young. That could, you know, Ben was never a a fast guy, but he was so big and strong and he was agile in the pocket. So, you know, if you grabbed him with a, with a hand or an arm, like he was breaking that and he was just nimble in the pocket and he couldn't get that playoff. Now he's just like, he's like a, he is a statue back there. He is way worse than, than, you know, Tom Brady or, or some of the other guys we call statues like Ben Roethlisberger is the worst. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a shell of his former self. Let's be real. And that was most likely the last time the Bears will ever face him. Oh, absolutely. There's no way that they're ever facing Ben Roethlisberger again. Um, in a regular season game. No. Uh, I mean, but when they tried to do that, that bootleg to run for the first down, oh, he was so slow, so slow. I felt the ground thud from here. But, um, you know, you saw the linebacking play was fine. Um, but the, the defensive backs were just brutal. It, we need a major upgrade there because if the Bears aren't getting pressure with the, the front, the base front package, then... Those those corners are getting burned. Yeah, yeah, and you know, early in the game, you saw something similar that happened last week. Kindle Vildor was on the guy, but couldn't make a play on the ball, and it ended up being a big game, just like last week. But you know, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the elephant in the room. We've we've alluded to it quite a bit, but the officiating was so bad. So yeah. bad. It, it was, it was brutal. It was Sean. Look, I, I am the type of guy that says typically, look, calls are going to be missed. There's going to be some bad calls, missed calls. Refs are humans. They're going to miss things. There's a lot going on. It's a very tough job. It's never going to be perfect. Okay, we know it's never going to be perfect, and it usually evens itself out. But last night, okay, just I'm going to put on the tinfoil hat. And I just, the how do I put this delicately? To my eyes, it, it looked like this wasn't, human error there were times it legitimately looked intentional that calls were or were not being made 
And I, I am typically not one to go down that road, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. What happened in the NFL this year, business-wise? Do you have any idea where I'm going with this? Oh, absolutely. They, uh, they partnered with gambling. Yes. And conveniently, they made rules that could allow officiating to make big changes in game momentum with a call. Now, is this me saying I know for a fact that there was rigging involved? No, but, but look at sports the past month, not just the NFL. Look at sports as a whole over the past month. What have we seen? Stuff that has been covered out, covered up, leaking out. All sorts of stuff. Whether it's lying about COVID vaccines or sex scandals or stuff going on with ownerships. Whether it's, you know, more stuff with Dan Snyder or the Suns owner. All this stuff is coming out that you didn't think was going on was going on. With everything that has come out, sports doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt right now. And I think we as fans have every right to at least ask questions. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one thing. And what made it worse is when Tony Carrenti was asked about some of the, uh, the calls, he flat out lied is what he said, what we watched on video in instant replay in slow motion from multiple angles don't align. And the NFL was so quick to, to just agree with him and give zero credence makes us, you know, it's, it's gaslighting us, you know, Maybe, maybe there's not, maybe just Tony Carrenti had a, was having a bad day and just was pissed off about something and just blew calls. And there's no scandal other than just, he was bad. Right. Yeah. That might be the case. It could be. It very well could be. But we are being told that we, what we're seeing with our eyes is not right and that the NFL is flawless. That's what the NFL is telling us. And Tony Carrenti is telling us. And look, it's not just calls that were made. It call, it's the calls that weren't made. When Justin Fields is getting hit in the head late and they're not calling anything. That, that's, a, that's an issue. And I don't want to hear he's a rookie. He has to earn it. The rules should apply to Justin Fields the way they apply to Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger. It doesn't matter what your status is. The rules are the rules, and they should be enforced equally no matter who is under center. Yeah, like the one where he gave – he was a runner, and he gave himself up. And sure, he gave himself up late, and I – if you, you know, if you hit him, okay. But how hard they hit him? No. That's that's uncalled for. He did give himself up um, when he did. The guy took four steps before hitting him after he threw like that is a that is a definition of a late hit. Absolute definition of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jalen Johnson pass interference 
at the end of the game, dog shit. Just that's a brutal call. Brutal There's call, a- dog shit. Unfortunately, that brutal call happens a lot, but yes, dog shit. It's, you know, and it's, I, I get, like, I get when though that's called, when they don't turn their head around, but there was no, like the only contact was initiated by the wide receiver. He right. didn't make like, uh, you have to get together with the other officials and, and make that correct. Like you can't, that's bad. That was a bad call. There's one, there's times where I'm, I don't agree with it and I'm pissy, but I'm sitting there watching slow motion, but watching that live, I was like, where, where? And then when they show the replay, like, and then the ultimate is uh, Clash Cassius Marsh, where he, they threw uh, the, the taunting call at him. And you went back and watched number one is he did his thing in the middle of the field. He didn't say anything. And he didn't say anything. And he looked was, at the bench and that's all he did. And what about TJ? Why, why wasn't it taunting when he went over there and, and mate was close to the sideline and made a signal to the, the bear sideline or when the entire defense of the, yep. of the Steelers runs yep. down and poses for the camera. Why isn't that taunting? But looking over at the, the sideline from the middle of the field and not say anything is, yeah. And it, listen, it was clear. Tony Carrenti, as as Cassius was running by, he hip checked him and threw the flag. That is exactly when it happened. He was not throwing it until that moment. Then he threw the flag. And that is that is wrong. He should have he should be fired. That's that's a fireable that all the other ones are. What are you doing? Like you can't do that reprimand. That's a fireable one is you. That's a Joe West move where you inserted yourself into the, into the game. I mean, he clearly initiated that contact and people can argue with me over and over whether or not he was reaching for the flag or not. That's not the point. Even if he intended to throw the flag, no matter what, the fact that he clearly saw him coming stood there and then just scooted over to initiate the contact and then threw the flag. And and, and tell me this, tell me this, if you were going to throw the flag for staring down the the sideline for two seconds, why did you wait until after he passed you? If you thought he was taunting by going over by the sidelines, why didn't you throw the flag then and there? That was a late flag. You threw it after you bumped into him. Yeah, absolutely. There is. There's just absolutely no way, no way that that is not uh, an intentional bad call. And they're not going to look into it. They're not going to. And look, they're either not going to look into it for two reasons. One, that they just don't want to reprimand the referees and they don't think it's worth it. And it's, there's nothing more to that. Or two, NFL's in on it. And again, and again, I'm not saying I know for a fact that it was rigged. I'm not saying I I can't sit here and say 100% it was, but damn it. We have a right to ask questions with, with what we saw. There's again, bad calls happen all the time. Sometimes it's just human error. It happens. It's a tough job. 
I couldn't do it. But when, when you see that replay between Marsh and the referee, that we have every damn right to question what was going on with the referees that night. And And you know what, Sean, you didn't even ask, we didn't even bring this up either. The touchdown, the touchdown called back. Daniels didn't even touch him. Yep. He was number one. He was still, he was still within the tight end box, still in there. He was, so it was the tight end box or not. He didn't even touch him. I mean, but even if they were like, Oh, he, even if they thought he touched him, he's still within the boundaries of when he's allowed to do it. So it's a double whammy. He's still within the boundaries of where he's allowed to do it. And he missed. So it's a double whammy. It's a double whammy. And they took a touchdown off the board and moved them far enough back that there was no way they were, they were going into the end zone on that drive. And, and so you just had so many absolute blatant, blatant, bad calls and the disproportionate number of calls going towards the bears at critical times, just it. I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like I don't believe in conspiracy theories. We definitely landed on the moon. There's no microchip in the vaccine. Uh, like I, um, you know, Tupac is dead. So is Elvis. Like, I'm not that guy. I'm you kidding. I saw Elvis on the street the other day, (laughs) but this, this is, this is something that needs to get looked into seriously. It has to, it has to, you know, if it's not a bigger thing, does he gamble? Does Tony Carrenti gamble on games? That you got to find that shit out, man. And look, you know what? They do an investigation and they don't find anything, then okay, you don't find anything. It was just a bad night. Okay. But you cannot justify just letting this slide. You can't. Sean, here's something. We are 24 hours after that game, not even technically 24 hours after the bad call. Highlight Heaven on YouTube posted the Cassius Marsh horrible taunt to call versus Steelers. It already has well over 300,000 views. There's already a compilation of bad calls against that game on YouTube as well. And everyone has talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. Is we live in a contrarian society where if you say the sky is blue on the internet, you're going to have a bunch of people telling you, no, it's green. Right. (laughs) Have, have you found a single person that has defended that call? No. Not even from Steeler no. fans. Steeler fans are just like, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Like this is this is so atrociously bad that, like, I, honestly, the NFL needs to actually investigate this. This is like not even the NFL. Like this, there should be a an independent like George McCaskey should go to the owners' meeting and be like, this is some bullshit. Seriously, this is bullshit. Hey, Jenner and Block, you want another case related to sports? <laughs> yep. I, you know, because here's the thing: is Roger Goodell works for the owners. They hire him. 
And, you know, like if I was George McCaskey, I would be petty and I would be calling for his job if, if he doesn't fix this. You know, the, the NFL is far and away the biggest sports league. They don't have dedicated officials. They have part-time officials. And when I bring this up, people are like, well, why? Well, what are they going to do? They play, you know, once a week or a couple of days a week. You know what? You know what they should be doing the rest of the time? They should all be flying into a central location or having Zoom meetings and doing training sessions during the week. Go back and everybody during the week watches the their games that they officiated and the other games critique each other, work on it, be like, all right, this was called this. This was not called this, you know, have the, the head official be like, yeah, this, this is what we're trying to call. This is, this is not what the spirit of what we're trying to do is, or yeah, we got this one, right. Um, and you work on your craft because I, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's probably not being easy being an NFL official. Of and course we, not. And we saw, we saw when the replacement refs were in, how bad they were. And the last two seasons we had, we had a bunch of senior officials retire and the, the, the product has gotten worse. Like you have better officiating when you have people that have been doing it a long time and they're dedicated to what they do and the NFL these guys all have other jobs is even if you bump up their pay, make that be their primary job where they train all year long and figure out what, what they're trying to do, what, you know, the spirit of the rule is and align to what they're calling and get it right, get it right. Because that's how, you know, people always say there's going to be a chink in the armor of, of the NFL at some point. And I think, I really think it's going to be officiating is, you know, the kneeling thing, people are like, Oh, it's going to be the kneeling. I don't think that was, um, you know, it's either going to be a lockout or officiating that causes fans to walk away because when you feel like it's not fair, Mm-hmm that's that's a quick way to lose people for good absolutely and and, you know sean you made a really good point earlier about saying how these officials are part-time hires of the nfl as far as i as far as i know they're not unionized i don't think I i don't think they are because mlb umpires are and that gets to a whole other sticky mess but Look, you can't you can't sit there and do nothing when this happens. And this was not some random Lions Eagles game at noon. This was Monday night football, big market versus big market. A lot of people were watching this game. It was on the national stage. Could you imagine if this happened in a playoff game? Yeah, it's. You know, it's, it's a black eye. Like those, those are the things, you know, the, the, the big spectacular plays 
are always remembered and the absolute dog shit officiating um, plays are always remembered. People remember those bad plays or those bad, bad play calls or, uh, you know, officiating calls. Who could forget the fail Mary? Yeah. Like people never forget those. They never forget those. No. You know, I, I still to this day is, um, is, uh, what's his name? The wide receiver for the lions when the completing the process, Calvin Johnson, the Johnson rule. Yeah. Like still to this day, like that gave the bears a victory and I, I, it's a tainted victory. That was absolutely a catch. Yeah, that was absolutely. That was, that was awful. You know, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed of the NFL and that, that was an absolute, you know, win for the bears by that play. Remember the lions when they had their, that flag picked up in the playoff game against the Cowboys in 2014. Yeah. Or when the Cowboys had a, uh, who was it? Des Bryant. Des Bryant. Yeah. And just, we were, we remember these plays like don't, when, when it's the bad officiating that we're remembering, you know, it, it, those get burned into your brains where you're just like, that was an unjust moment and there was no way to, to fix it. And honestly, if, if I were the coach of the bears, like I would have gotten escorted out of there is I would have thrown the red flag at the official in their dumb faces every time knowing full well that there's nothing reviewable, I would just t- throw things. And I sl- they- honestly go on the field, slam your headset down. Who cares how much you get fined? Rip him in the, in the post game. I mean, honestly, I really wish Matt Nagy would have stuck up for his team more on that, that I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to write that down and I was like, I'll remember it. And I totally forgot, but that was a something I was so mad about is why aren't you defending your players is at the moment at the moment you should have been more vocal. And after the game, when you're saying, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Say something, get that fine. You get paid what? $5 million a year. Eat that fine. Take that fine. Take that on the chin. No one getting your players backs. It's like a trip to Burger King for you. You know, like, fine wise i mean you know nobody nobody wants the fifty thousand dollar fine or whatever they're going to give him like it still sucks but you eat that and you say you know that's bullshit it's absolute bullshit and the refs did us dirty the nfl needs to look into that and you take that and you'll get a call from roger goodell but you know you're getting fired anyway so (laughs) what are they going to do Sean, I picture you in that same situation as the Bears head coach. You're at the podium, and I just you're you are losing your mind. Like veins are bulging, and like you're sweating. And then two macho security guys come and pick you up one arm by one, and as they carry you away, you're still yelling and just kicking your legs really hard and just screaming at the top of your lungs. That that would be a sight to see. That is what I wish Matt Nagy would have done. You would have seen me have a Dennis Green moment at the podium about the NFL officiating. 
they are who we thought they were. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want, I'm going to go full meatball for a second and just say, I'm going to go full. I'm going to embrace the Swirsky right now. I'm going to go full meatball and say, if Dick were the head coach, there's no way he'd be saying what Matt Nagy said in that press conference. No, oh, way. no, no. And, and honestly, like if, if, if I were in Matt Nagy's shoes and had the, the opportunity to coach the bears, like I would have been very vocal and I would have, you know, signed off with, I know this is going to get me a phone call from Roger Goodell. And I promise you, he's not going to like the end result of that call. <laughs> Seriously. Ser- I, I would have gone three stooges on the ref, do the, do the eye poke and take my hat off and like <laughs> smash it over his head. Yeah, it, like, honestly, if you're a player, how, how do you not look at this? Like next time that you have that officiating crew, how do you not just want to run right through them on a play? I mean, I would look at that and be like, well, what's going to happen now? What, what are we, if we even look at the other team, are we going to get flagged? If we make a tackle, are we going to get flagged? it's just, it's mind numbing. And I, I hate to be like, we, you know, when there's bad officiating, typically, you know, your, the calls may have been more detrimental to your team, but usually you see it on both sides. It evens out. It evens out along the way. And you, you're mad about it and it came at a bad time or whatever, but this was so lopsided. I, I just, I don't I don't even know how to put it into words. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's hard when we can obviously sit here and point to many other reasons why the bears didn't win this game, because look, the offense did not do well at all in the first half. A lot of those flags early on were legitimate. You were offsides or an eligible man downfield. They were very undisciplined, even with the, absolute trash officiating the bears were undisciplined i don't know what the heck robert quinn was doing on that final drive guy who's actually been playing pretty well this year but dude like come on man this is crucial all they needed was a field goal and you know that they can't be busting coverage they can't be offsides that's on the bears the bears made plenty of mistakes in this game but the bears also did a lot of good things mainly Justin Fields, to put them in a position which should have won them the game. And unfortunately, there were circumstances that prevented them from doing that outside of their control. That's just, it's its a shame that this had to happen when Justin Fields came out, when he really blossomed into what we hope that he could be. It's just um, a shame. Adam Johns posted earlier, a couple hours ago, uh, a photo of the all 22 on the Cairo Santos 65 yard field goal. And TJ Watt is lined up off sides. Of course. Where was Tony Carrenti on that one? He called it 12 times on the bears. That would have moved him. What? Five yards closer. It makes Dude, it Cairo Santos did not miss by much. That five yards would have been a hit. I mean, that was, honestly, that was a great kick. Cairo Santos. I hope that doesn't hurt his confidence because there's, I have to, is 
what would you have done in that situation? You know what? I'm going to defend Matt Nagy. That's kind of a tough call. I, I agree. I, I, that's what I said. I was like, you know, everyone is shitting on Matt Nagy about this. And, but honestly is your offensive line is bad. They're going to pin their ears back and go after Justin Fields. What are the odds that you're even going to get enough time to, to have your players run down the field and, and get to the end zone? The odds of a Hail Mary and, are so and, slim. And you, you know with how bad those officials are and how bad the calls have gone against you, there's no way they're not going to call an offensive pass interference, even if you do catch it. And the 65-yarder, it's not the longest field goal in NFL history. It's a tough place to kick. And Cairo Santos is very good. He doesn't have a Justin Tucker leg. Not very many people do. But I, you know, at least the field goal gives you an opportunity. Is Had they called that penalty? Then it makes it a 60-yard field goal. It's still long, but he didn't miss that by five yards. Sean, I'm going to be honest with you. When that was up and coming, I I thought for a second that he was going to make it. I really did. That was online perfect, and it just it kept coming closer and closer. And as it was coming down, I'm like, oh, my God, is he actually going to make this? And then, obviously, it didn't. And the replay made it look like it doinked, but it didn't. It was, you know, five or whatever yards short. But yeah, you know, I, I'm not upset at Matt Nagy for going with the field goal. I'm not. I know that it was a long shot, but you know what? I think a Hail Mary, even with Justin Fields playing the way he was, I think that was an even longer shot. I think you were playing with like a 2% chance versus like a 0.5% chance. Yeah, I mean, there was there was so little chance of making that field goal, um, but I I think I still think there was a better shot of making that field goal than I agree. The Hail Mary. Neither odds were great, but yeah, I I would have put I would have put my money on the field goal. I would have, and you know, it ain't Cody Parkey up there or Connor Barth or whatever. Cairo Santos. If he would have made that field goal, I believe he would have broken the record for all-time made field goals consecutively. He had 40 consecutive made field goal attempts. And there is no shame in that streak ending, just barely missing a 60-plus yarder. Like, I, I I give him a lot of credit. That was a good kick, just not quite there. Justin Tucker, he is the greatest kicker of all time. I I think that that is set in stone. That like he just is the greatest kicker of all time. Like Justin Tucker will probably make the NFL Hall of Fame. Yes. And there's not. <laughs> it's a very very thin company with a. Uh, uh. You know, in with kickers in the Hall of Fame. But Justin Tucker's earned it, no question. Yeah, so um how many how many dedicated kickers are in the Hall of Fame? Jan Stenerud. Morton Morton Anderson, did he make it? 
I don't know. Let me look that up. I I think so, but I could be wrong. Morton Ander. And Morton Anderson, when he retired, was the all-time points leader in NFL. Yes, he is in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, I mean, George Blanda kicked, but he didn't go in as a kicker. No. Jim Thorpe kicked, but he wasn't a kicker. Doak Walker, I think, kicked. He wasn't a kicker. Uh, Jerry Kramer, Hall of Famer, he was a kicker, but... uh, that's not what he went in for. So really two dedicated kicker, Jan Stenerud and Morton Anderson. Third is going to be Justin Tucker. And that makes sense. And, and, you know, on a, on a slight tangent is I was watching some, uh, some highlights of, of college games that I didn't watch. Mm-hmm. And San Diego state has a, a punter who has three consecutive games where he had a punt that went 80 yards in the air. He's, he's broken the collegiate all uh, the collegiate single season number of punts over 60 yards in the first five games of the season this year. (laughs) Like he's unreal. Matt Areza, I think that's how you pronounce it. They had, uh, I forgot who they were playing their last game, but they put two punt returners and they put one at the normal spot and then they put another one like way behind him and he still kicked over both of their heads. Wow, I'm watching these highlights right now on my screen. (laughs) It's unreal. Uh, I was joking with a friend of mine today. I was like, man, the Bears uh, should use their second round pick on him because he'll be their offensive MVP. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Wow. Like, good grief. I bet that dude gets drafted in the third round. Oh, there's no question this dude's going to the NFL. Oh, yeah. No question. But I think he gets drafted at a pretty high spot because that's a weapon with a guy that can kick that far. I God, I'm watching these highlights. Holy smokes. It's unreal. (laughs) That's that's awesome. I love a good special teams player. Speaking of special teams players, I want to bring up another play in the Bears game yesterday. And you know what bear you know what play I'm gonna talk about when I say, dang it, Bears, why couldn't you brought Cordero Patterson back? Uh, it could have been any number of ones where they brought it out of the end zone and didn't get even to the 20. I'm talking about the fumble. That's, that's a bad one too. But yeah, every time he took it out, he they were, it was like 17, 18, whatever. I'm like, dude, just let it bounce in the end zone. Just take the touchback. Yeah. And Cordero Patterson has also been a force in the offensive game for the Falcons. Everything Cordero Patterson has done for the Falcons is what I wanted Matt Nagy to use while he was a bear. When the bears got Cordero Patterson, I was jumping for joy. I said, this is exactly what the bears need. Exactly what the bears need. A multi-gadget guy who is the best special team player in the NFL right now. God, I wish they would have brought him back. 
next year, bring him back. I think he's only on a one-year deal. I think he might be. Honestly, that height playing with Justin Fields, oh, I can dream. I know, and and plus he was just so vocal about bringing guys to the Bears and recruiting. Like you liked that attitude. That's such a that, that's such an attitude that even the the meaty meatballs would love to have. You know, up there in the higher ups. So why wouldn't you bring him back? Uh, but don't you needed the money to pay Jimmy Graham? Yeah, right. To get three targets this season. Yeah. One was a dropped pass in the end zone. Good throw to him down the field later in the game, but uh, that should have been a touchdown too. That one, I can't blame on the refs. That was just a drop. Yeah, but at least the Bears have a bye week coming up. And, um, But you're right. I don't have a lot of confidence going into the uh, – going into that game after the bye against the uh, Baltimore Ravens and the Ravens. Listen, the Ravens are a beatable team. They're mm-hmm. six and two right now. They're they've got dominated by the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched them get dominated for the first half against the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not a beast of a team. They have the capability to be, but that defense is suspect. Yeah, um, it is. Kirk Cousins put up 31 points on them. Is I think I think you can the problem with the, the Bears is they can't start the game fumbling and faltering with and tripping over themselves with three and outs. And yeah, you can't plays. right. You can't only score three points in the first half. Because the Bears are gonna have a tough time containing Lamar Jackson and that offense. Right. And the bears, if they're going to win that game are going to have to, they're going to have to, even when they're not scoring, they're going to have to be like they were against the 49ers and consistently moving the ball and at least getting close to field goal range every time and, and putting some points on the board because 20 points from your offense is not going to do it. And, you know, the bats with the bear score because seven of those points were a, a defensive touchdown. Right. Or special teams. Um, you know, the offense need to score more points and they can't, they can't lose the position, the field position battle like they did this game. They no. need, they need to control the clock, keep their defense fresh because they're going to be running all over the place. Lamar Jackson. Um, but, uh, and you know, one thing I'm going to say with, with Justin Fields is he's so fast, but his off his running plays are not, you're not seeing him be able to get to the open field. Like you do with Lamar Jackson. Right. They're, he, they're different types of runners. They're different types of runners, but, is those, you know, I think he needs to be more decisive when he's, when he's going to tuck it and run, he needs to just tuck it and run. Mm -hmm. It's when he's, he hymns and haws and gets caught in that middle, you know, do I pass? Do I throw? And that's when the, the running lanes break down and he ends up having to run backwards to go 
round. And then by that time, guys in the NFL are fast. They're going to cut you off and minimize the, the run, the yards you're going to get. Whereas if he just t- talked it and run, um, he has to be more visible of when the pocket opens up to, for him to run straight is, is there somebody that, you know, is coming around the edge. It's going to, you know, cut you off. Um, and the bears need to be better about designing run plays, design run plays, design rollouts and bootlegs, like get him moving the most beautiful pass that probably one of the most beautiful passes he's through was rolling to his left and throwing. And that was a beautiful pass. Get him rolling out and, and utilize your tight ends more. Jeez Louise, man. Yeah. Yeah. Agree with all that. Just frustrating. Uh, should we move on to, to uh, Bulls? Yeah, because while the Bears game was going on, they won a very big game at the United Center. Yeah, they did. And it, it was looking like it was going to be a, a, you know, a tough loss against the Nets because they were the, the Bulls were down at going into halftime. Yeah, and, the Nets had the momentum going into the half. And I was like, oof. But the Bulls came out in the third and fourth quarters and just looked really good. And, you know, this is at first we're like, okay, well, they lost the Knicks. That was a test. Are we they not as good as we thought? They beat the Jazz, which the Jazz were, you know, a lot of people have as their number one in the power rankings. So the Jazz are a legit team, and they beat the Jazz good. Um, they beat the Nets now, beat the Nets by a lot. The the Achilles heel is seeming to be the the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is, honestly, is Vooch needs to play better. Is, you know, Joel Embiid is, a, is really good, and he's the, he's the difference maker there. And he can, he can agitate you, man. He agitates me. And, you know, but Vooch needs to be better. And he's had, you know, he's, he's had a rough season so far. Yeah. And I mean, look, we all know Vucevic isn't a good defender. He's never going to be a defender, but he is expected to be the big man that could score. And we've seen his shooting really, really struggle this year. I, you know, it's unfortunate to see, am I panicking yet? No, but you want to see him start to heat up more consistently pretty soon because your schedule isn't getting any easier. You're going to play a Mavs team on Wednesday. And then I believe you got to go to New York and play the Knicks again. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty tough schedule to begin, but man, the bulls are looking good. The back-to-back against the Sixers was, was a tough one. Um, yeah, I watched. If, they just, if they played just a little better in that one in Philadelphia, they could have won that. Unfortunately, they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little too much. But the, the thing on that one is they had no business being in that game. And it came down to they almost won it. Yeah, they, they came back again. Yeah, they had they came back from a mile. They were they were, I think, 15 down or 18 down. They came back and they were just you know, I think they went on like a 12 0 run to spark that it, it, they had no business being in that game. 
And, and that was with Zach Levine having a piss poor shooting night. Yeah. That was probably one of his worst games as a bull in a while. He had a bad, him and Vooch had bad nights. It was DeMar DeRozan was carrying that team on his back and they almost came back. I, you know, if, if Vooch plays better against the 76ers, I think they can beat them. Um, you know, that 76 team is a good team. It's, uh, you know, they just, they just need, they need Zach to shoot better and they need Vooch to shoot better. Um, you know, and, and stop the goofy. And yet, and yet Zach is Zach Levine still puts up 20 plus points a night. <laughs> That's true. Um, I can't say enough though about how wrong so many people were about the Bulls getting DeMar DeRozan. There is no way they are where they are without DeMar DeRozan. Oh, absolutely not. That guy is a baller. And he is, I'd say he's your MVP right now. He's, he's been fantastic. Yeah, in that 76ers game, he dropped 37. Yeah, effortlessly. And... um. You know, so uh, I, I'd, I'd like this Bulls team. I think they're good. Um, you know, Kobe White's coming back soon. Yeah, he's he's been he's in practice now. They've uh, he's he can now have contact um, in practice. So I believe he's heading to the Windy City Bulls for rehab. Yeah, so we'll probably big, see, big news. Yeah, we'll see him anytime now. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say this every week. My man, Ayo DeSumo. He's he, doing stuff, man. He he looks like he belongs. He does. And the team loves him. The, his teammates love him. Billy Donovan loves him. Arturis Karnishevis loves him. It's so great. That was a big pickup. A big pickup. And not just like his, like his scoring ability, but the team plays really well when he's on the floor. Like they were a plus 22 when he was on the floor against the nets. It, it feels like every game I plays, he's progressing. He's doing things that you would expect, you know, of veteran players. And look, he's got a lot to learn. There's things to clean up and learn, but as long as he's doing stuff positive, like the way he is, is you take that, the the way he's trending, this can look like an absolute steal in the draft. How he fell that far, I just, man, I think teams might regret passing up on him. And it's exciting to say the Bulls finally got that better end of the deal. Yeah, I mean, what what pick was he? He was in the second round. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have an NBA player in the second round, like usually, usually they don't pan out. You know, everyone will cherry pick and be like, "Oh, this guy in the second round," you know, Tony Parker in the second round, or um, you know, Jimmy Butler in the second round. But as a whole, you don't really do much with second round picks, and this one. You know, is he going to be a superstar? Probably not. 
but is can he be a significant contributor to a good team? Um, yeah, he's he's be, he's doing so right now. Absolutely. Now, Sean, if if you allow me to just express one concern, I really wish the Bulls had a guy like a Kyle Korver who could just come off off the bench and just pop the three pointer, because the Bulls are among the lowest of the league in three points. And I believe it's both made and attempted. And, you know, if you said that you're not making a bunch of threes in 2001, it might be a different story. But in this day and age, you know, you see a lot of good teams have the ability to shoot the three. And when you're able to shoot the three and you're down, you can come back in games real, real fast. So I'm hoping, because Kobe White has shown he can shoot threes, that that'll help a little bit. And you hope that Vucevic warming up more will help that a little bit. You know that DeMar DeRozan, the three, is in his game. But you want to see that percentage increase a little bit. I don't see a scenario where the Bulls are suddenly going to be the Golden State Warriors and just raining threes. But, you know, you would like to see that improve a little bit because now more than ever, I feel like shooting the three-pointer is important. It is important. And, you know, DeRozan can shoot a three, but he's his sweet spot is a couple feet within the three-point right. line. And, like, then he's deadly. And, you know, I'm fine with it. But, you know, we've seen him hit those corner threes. And uh, when he's when he gets an open look, like, I feel confident with him doing it. It just he doesn't he doesn't attempt them a lot. Um, like yesterday's game, he had 28 points and he only shot four three point attempts. Um, you know, Zach's a Zach's a decent three point shooter. Yeah, he can make them. Uh, but I mean, your volume three-point shooter is probably Lonzo. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we could talk about the starters. You know, the starters is one thing. For me, I think the bigger uh, concern is the bench. And, you know, Alex Caruso, he can make the three. He can absolutely make the three. But, you know, he doesn't take three shots very often. He'll take them every now and then, but he doesn't take them nearly as much as, you know, maybe some would like to see. I'm not saying he's got to go out there and pop a three every time, but, you know, maybe you'd like to see him shoot it a little more. But, you know, like I said before, I just, I really wish the Bulls had a guy like a Kyle Korver that could just go out there and just pop him. Yeah, Lonzo Ball, I'm looking at the stats, is the the leader in three-point, the number of three-point shooting. And as is far that percentage as, or made? Both. Like okay. he in, in well, in the volume of that he takes it. And um, I mean, Patrick Williams actually has the highest three-point shooting percentage. Uh, but you know, he he hasn't taken very many. Um DeSumo is second, but he hasn't taken that many either. But of the guys that have taken a, you know, a solid chunk of three point shots, Lonzo ball is shooting 41% and he tempts 6.6 three pointers a game. Hmm. All right. Um, so 
Lonzo, Lonzo is our best three point. That's something he's worked on, clearly worked on. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's worked on shooting, period, the past few years. And how much do you think that the Lakers regret letting go of Caruso? Oh, I, they're kicking themselves. They, they got to be. That was, that was such an, a sneaky good move. Yeah, I, AK really got a winner there. The difference that guy can make, just it's, it's the little things. It's the little things that make such a big difference. Uh, yeah, so right now the Bulls are tied with the Heat for second seed. Philly won. Yeah, Philly's won by half game. Yeah. Well, those two wins against the Bulls helped them. Yeah. Golden State has got the best record in, in basketball. They're good. Man. The Pelicans are bad. <laughs> What's their record? I've, I haven't even looked. One in ten. Ooh. They haven't. They're 0-4 at home. Oh, that's, ooh, that's bad. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, the bulls, the bulls look good. Uh, like I said, is um, the, the depth, if they can keep developing guys, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, the bench mob, um, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, Patrick Williams comes back healthy sooner rather than you know in that timeline of of getting healthy if he comes back sooner like comes back or in you know the february-ish time range i think that's huge for the bulls um but they're they're thin they just need to stay healthy mm-hmm. um but i, I quickly want to touch on on the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big news, big news on Saturday. I I didn't really want to talk about them, but then we got the big news that the Blackhawks fired Jeremy Colleton. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I have nothing against the guy personally. He was a guy with little experience thrown into a big job and was basically hired to be the yes man to stand. I think that with the right seasoning and the right growth that he can be an effective coach one day, he was just nowhere near ready. He was way over his head when he was there. The system was not working at all. The practices that they were implementing with guys just standing around in practice and watching select guys at a time with drills not working. And you get their first game with their interim head coach and they only give up 20 some shots like, and you win in overtime. I didn't really see the game. 
But when I looked at the box score and saw they only gave up so many shots to a pretty good Predators team, it's like, huh, maybe this system was a big part of why the defense was failing. Um, not saying this is a long-term solution. I think everybody in this organization understands that the structure that is in place is interim and that everything is going to be rearranged and finalized in the off season. I mean, this season's a wash. It, it, honestly, there's, there's no saving the season. The season is over. You just got to get through it so you can make your changes when you need to. Um, but yeah, you just couldn't keep going with that system because you were getting embarrassed night in and night out. Absolutely. It just, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have a professional coaching system in place. Like you said, the reports that leaked out about what practices look like and how bad they were. Um, you saw where he just handed the clipboard over to players and let them design their play at the end of a game. Like, the it was it was not how you would want like that is not how Joel Quenville would have done it, um, you know that's not how winning coaches would do it, and the Blackhawks their interim general manager brought in the the coach of the Ice Hogs promoted him up uh, Derek King and um, he looks it's been a short, short amount of time. He looks like he belongs there much more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, and again, this is us not saying he's going to be the long-term solution, but you know, I feel like he at least has the experience because if I, if I know correctly, he's older than Colleton and I believe he's got more oh, he's, experience. Than he's, Colleton yeah. He's almost 20 years older than Colleton. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, that's when you're more experienced guy and you've been around the block more when it comes to coaching, you're going to have a better understand of how these things work. So, you know, I feel like a coach like him, while he might not lead you to the promised land, he'll at least be able to kind of create some stability within the team. I mean, and, and that's, you know, it's just, uh, um, you just have a more of a, a presence there because he's clearly older than everybody else. He's played hockey. He's in his fifties. Um, he's, he's a much more physically imposing person. I think he's like six, three. He's a fairly tall guy. He's a big guy. Um, looks like a hockey coach. Um, and, um, you know, and then the personality was there. Like, I'm sure you've seen some of the uh, the clips, the interview clips. Mm-hmm. He's winning. He's winning over the media. I'm sure he's yep. winning over the the players too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think so too. You know, so, um, it, you know, it just he seems very appreciative of the opportunity. Um, he's he, very earnest. What he's saying. Um, he's, there's a, a level of humor in what he says. Um, I, I just, I appreciate it. Do I think he's the long-term answer? I'm, I doubt, I doubt it. Um, 
hey, he's got nothing to lose at this point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no matter what, it's not like he's going to get fired. They'll just move him back to Rockford. Right. Uh, But, um, you know, I would imagine that the Blackhawks are going to bring in some some veteran, you know, type coach. Um, I am trying to think of who like Boudreaux. Claude Julian's available. Mike Badcop's available. John Tortorella's available. I don't want Tortorella. Yeah. Here's the thing. Why would Tortorella want to come to a rebuilding team? Rick Tockett. Um, Claude Julian kind of intrigues me. I don't know if I'd go Mike Babcock at this point. I don't either. I mean, at one time I would have been like, oh yeah. Oh, I would have jumped that. Yeah. I mean, 2014, I would have jumped all over that. Um, but I, I have a, I mean, they're going to have their pick of, of veteran coaches that they could bring in and, um, uh, you know, so Derek King is, is going to get sent back down to Rockford, but I think, I, th- I think it's good to have a clean, just break of everybody and, and level set with this organization. And I think having a, at least an interim head coach allows you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you, you had suggested something to me in a text today that you wanted to do for this show. And I thought it was a good idea. Yes, I do. Because, you know, our last few shows have been kind of depressing and dark. And I really wanted to light the mood for this show. So I want to introduce this game, uh, just wacky sports stories, where you and I go back and forth and we tell our favorite wacky sports stories. Uh, You know, whether something weird happened, you know, your favorite what the hell was that moment? It could be something on the field. It could be something that happened, you know, off the, the field that was reported later. Something weird, wacky, and something you can just laugh at. So to officially introduce this game, I'm going to queue up uh, some music here, and we are going to get this rolling. Okay, so part of this game is going to be assigning these wacky stories a trophy. This is more than any other trophy. This is one of our typical topics we talk about. And by that, I mean one of our stupid made-up things that's going to be made into a trophy. So we're going to tell a story. One of us is going to tell our favorite sports wacky story. And we're going to... The other person is going to assign that story a trophy here are your trophy selections the marty havlak crock pot tlr's twtw bag john lackey's spittoon sean's puking stilts benny the bull's bag of stale popcorn and a rotten pumpkin left over from halloween from gallagher way that tom ricketts could not sell those are your prizes. Sean, do you have any questions before we begin? Is there a ranking system of those prizes? No, but 
the grand prize, I've already determined this, all the prizes are equal except one. John Lackey's spittoon is going to be like the Stanley Cup of all this. That is going to be the grand prize. Everything else is pretty even. Okay. If that makes sense. And, and when I lo- went through these, I I did some some oddball stats, some oddball moments, some oddball injuries. And yes. I, I mostly tried to tie them into Chicago in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's good. I, I feel like our listeners will like that the most. So what do you say? Let's play. All right. I- I'll go ahead and start. All um, right. In a game in 1990, the White Sox got no hit by the Yankees, and they won four to nothing. Mm, yes, yes. It was, it was walks and errors led to four runs, and uh, it was Andy Hawkins threw a no hitter and lost four nothing, and the Yankees all were congratulating him after the game, but he was still pissed because he, he gave up four runs and got the loss. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. And the man that led the start of the scoring, Sammy Sosa. Wow. Now that I didn't know. He reached on an error by uh, Mike Blowers and then he stole second base. And then, uh, and then Ozzy Gian was the next batter and he walked. And then it was Lance Johnson, Robin Ventura, Yvonne Calderon. <laughs> <laughs> so that you had uh you ended up giving up four runs and and the White Sox won the game even though they didn't have a single hit. Uh, that is a good one so for my first wacky story we're gonna stick with the white Sox. we're gonna stick with the south siders this was a bit more recent the 2016 baseball season when you think of chicago you obviously think of the world champion chicago cubs however in 2016 the white Sox did end up making some headlines they're just not necessarily headlines you'd want your team to be in This particular headline was something that I could not believe, and I don't think most people could believe it either. It was a start later in the season, mid-late season. The White Sox weren't really going anywhere, but there was speculation that Chris Sale might be dealt. Then all of a sudden, in a game he was supposed to start in, we heard that he was not going to be making this start. And all the rumors spread around. What happened? Is he getting traded? Is he injured? Is he sick? Why is he not at the ballpark? What's going on? He turned into Edward Scissorhands. (laughs) He cut up the jerseys, the throwback jerseys, because he didn't like them. And that was initially reported by my brother, Jason, who wrote for him, his boss at the time. He was the first person to report it. And when I first saw that report, I thought it was a joke. And then all of a sudden, other reports are coming in with the same story. And I'm thinking, there's no way this could be real. There's absolutely no way this could be real. No way. But it was. 
He didn't like the jerseys, so he cut them up. Is that not wacky? That's that's the Florida and Chris Sale coming out. <laughs> Florida man rips up jerseys. I love it. All right. My next one is an oddball injury. Former Cub Chris Coughlin once tried to hit a teammate in the face with a pie and tore his the meniscus in his knee. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that that is a that is an oddball one is when you try to hit your teammate with a pie in the face and wind up missing the rest of the season. <laughs> wow. That is, that is a way to, that is a story you're walking around, you know, you know, injured on crutches. So what'd you do? Did you get injured in a game? No, nah, I threw a pie. Oh, Bozo the Clown over there. <laughs> we were playing Bozo Buckets, and boy, did things get hairy. In the grand prize game. <laughs> <laughs> this next wacky story might not be known by a lot of people, but it happened. Back in 2007, the Blackhawks had a player who had a pretty, you know, decent career by the name of Tuomo Rutu. This was back before the Blackhawks became relevant again. November 07. So these were the days which kind of don't look that different from the past few weeks. But, um, you know, when the United Center was empty, Blackhawks games weren't watched on television for multiple reasons. And, you know, they just weren't relevant. The, the faces that were on the Blackhawks weren't talked about nearly as much. And, you know, Tuomo Rutu was part of that 07 team. Well, one day he was on a walk. And the police were looking for a suspect that was involved in a robbery in a Chicago suburb. Tuomo Rutu happened to look just like this guy and meet the initial description. So they detained Tuomo Rutu. The police did when they saw him walking down the sidewalk. And then they finally realized this isn't the right guy. This is a true story. (laughs) If you don't believe me, look it up. That's, that's very fitting. I mean, could you imagine Patrick Kane being mistaken? Like, could you imagine any other big Chicago sports star? Could you imagine Zach Levine or Alex Caruso or Anthony Rizzo when he was still here getting mistaken for a criminal? You would never think of it. But here's Tuomo Rutu, a player on an original six franchise, not being recognized by the police and getting arrested. Well, I don't know if you saw the Malice in the Palace documentary. I did. I actually just watched that recently. Uh, where they the security or the police didn't recognize Reggie Miller. Like, Reggie Miller is a really distinct looking dude. Like, you you know, it's he's not nondescript. He's like 6'7 and has those bad teeth. Like, you recognize Reggie Miller. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, and they just didn't recognize him as a player on the 
on the uh, the Pacers. And that's How? not just any player. Yeah, that's, that's Reggie Miller. Yes. Um, but my next one, <clears throat> uh, this is a game involving the White Sox again. In a 1994 game between the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago White Sox, the White Sox challenged Indians uh, star Albert Bell's use of a particular bat, claiming it was corked. The home plate umpire confiscated the bat and put it in his locker to be examined after the game. At that point, the Indians panicked. They knew the bat was corked, (laughs) so they sent pitcher Jason Grimsley through the ventilation system into the umpire's locker room <laughs> with a non-cork bat that belonged to Paul Sorrento. And he got away with the switch. But the umpires knew what was something up. You know why they knew that there was something up? Because the bat that they left had Paul Sorrento's name on it. Oh no. <laughs> I had no idea of this story. None. It is. It is like dumb baseball's version of Ocean's Eleven. Oh my goodness! Could you imagine a player just in uniform crawling through the vents? <laughs> oh. oh man! And what what year was this? Nineteen ninety four. Ah, so right before the baseball strike happened. Yep. <clears throat> Oh my goodness. That is awesome. Okay. This next wacky story happened just a few years ago and it is very memorable, but we have to talk about it because of how memorable it was before the bull season even started drama had already been uncovered within the bulls team. In practice, preseason practice, Bobby Portis and Nikolai Miritich getting into it and Bobby Portis just punching him square in the face. If that didn't sum up Bulls basketball at the time, I don't know what does. And, and Randy Brown was in the background calling calling Garpax. beautiful all right trying to top my last one former chicago cub glenn allen hill once had a dream that he was being chased by spiders and in his sleep he got out of bed and started running in his sleep away from said spiders where he's actually running And in his house, he ended up crashing through a glass table, cutting himself, bruising himself, and going on the disabled list for 20 days because he was running running away from spiders in his dream. Oh, my goodness. Was that like 98, 99, 2000? Uh, I didn't write down what year that was. Uh, I, I just know that was around the time he played with the Cubs, but wow. He, it was not while he was with the Cubs, though. Oh, it wasn't while he yeah, was with the Cubs. No, okay. no. Okay. I, I try, yeah, I was trying to do this with, you know, like the Chris Coughlin one. I, he was with the Marlins at the time. Yeah, but yeah was, he was with the at Marlins. Least, while, at yeah. least some sort of connection. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn Allen Hill was a Cub, but it was while. 
I don't remember what team it was. Um, but yeah, he was on the disabled list for 20 days from his injuries, crashing through a glass table while he was running from imaginary spiders. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's something because I feel like sleepwalking is a pretty common thing. It's it it is a common thing, but man, imagine having sleep, to go sleep running is not a common thing. I don't no, think. it's it, it's not. <laughs> It's not. It really isn't. I feel like, you know, there there is obviously with people who could sleepwalk, there's obviously a risk of injury. It's just how often do you hear about a player, a, a professional sports athlete getting injured because of that? Like, I can't think of any other story like that. So it was in 1990 when he played for the Blue Jays. Oh, so that must have been really early on in his career. Yeah, because he had he was a had extreme case of arachnophobia, which you know arachnophobia is very 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 common. And just not sleep running and going on the disabled list because of that. Wow. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, I I did not know that. I didn't know that at all. <laughs> Okay, so I have one more, and it involves another wacky injury. And I was debating about using this one uh, just because I feel like it's been a topic of conversation again, but this is another one of those you never really think of it. I believe it was 04. Sammy Sosa went on the disabled list because of a violent sneeze. Do you remember I have, that? I have that on my list. Oh, look at that. Look at that. It's it's in my injury category. Yeah, look at that. You know, I kind of had a feeling that's a pretty commonly talked about one. But uh, I, I feel like one of us had to mention the Sammy Sosa sneeze. And hey, look. I've had violent sneezes and some of them hurt like hell your back, but usually they just tense up for a minute and then it relaxes. I, I haven't had lasting injury because of a sneeze. You know, I always laughed at that one. And then a couple of years ago I had a sneeze and my back was stiff for like two days. And I was like, all right, I owe an apology to Sammy Sosa. Nah, <laughs> but uh, since you and I had that same one, there was another thing I wanted to bring up that always amused me no matter how, and this wasn't just one event. This is a habit of a player that is wacky. Sticking with the Cubs, Moise Sa'alu. That was a good ball player. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> this is why people fist bump him. Yes. <laughs> he made a regular habit of urinating on his hands to toughen them up before games. So imagine being Moises Salou, just going to the bathroom, yanking his pants down, just putting his hands in front of there and just peeing on it and thinking, yeah, this will make my hands nice and tough. <laughs> Clearly it worked. I mean, he was he had a really dang good career. I just never would have thought the source of your talent would be wee-weeing on your hands. Yeah, and he didn't wear batting gloves. No, he didn't. 
No, he didn't. Have you ever seen his stance from like the side? Yeah. His knees like bend inward. Mm-hmm. Like pigeon toed. Like just how? I I don't know if it helped kind of keep his balance, but yeah, it was a it was an odd, very compact, odd stance. And he had we on his hands. Uh, all right, I got. I, I'm going to go through a couple. Is your last one? Uh, I could rattle off a few more. I'll let you uh, spew a few more. Yeah, I'll go. I'll give a few here. I'll give the rest of my injury, my weird injury ones. All right. So I, I had the Sosa going on the disabled list from sneezing. Um, one time, Derek Rose sat on a knife because he was cutting up an apple in bed and he said he was too lazy to put the knife away. And he sat on the knife and cut himself and had to get 10 stitches. That could have ended really bad. Uh, Former White Sox, Ronald Belisario broke his shoulder trying to jump out of a pool. Hmm, Uh, I don't remember that. And former Cub Milton Bradley tore his ACL during while he was getting ejected from a game. Ooh, but why does that not surprise me? Is he was going after the umpire and Bud Black tried to pull him away. And during the scrum, he Milton Bradley tore his ACL. Wow. Wow. I mean, hey. Go all out, I guess, when you're getting ejected. Pretty much. Ooh, geez. That's uh, that's got to hurt your confidence, right? Piss, be a pissed at your manager. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm going to go a little off topic with Chicago sports. This was something that happened a very long time ago, but this is nuts. You ready for this? Yes. The world's longest boxing match between Andy Bowen and Jack Burke lasted for more than seven hours, during which 110 rounds were fought. The historical fighting duel on April 6th, 1893, was eventually ruled no contest. 110 rounds. How did they not die of exhaustion? That's what I'd love to know. And this happened in New Orleans. This is hot and muggy. I mean, good grief. Um, I've got a few Bears ones here. I'm just going to rattle them off in one kind of lump. During the NFL's first six seasons, the Bears had 34 shutout wins in six years. In the 1932 NFL championship game, uh, it was the first NFL game to be played indoors inside the Chicago stadium. Ah, uh, yes. Against Portsmouth. Yes. Uh, there have been five NFL games in the history of the NFL that have ended two to zero. And the Bears and the Packers have played two of those games. Hmm, interesting. In the 1940 NFL championship game, where the Bears won 73 to zero, 
uh, during the fourth quarter, the officials told George Hallis that the Bears had to go for two points every time instead of kicking a field goal because they didn't have any balls left except for the one that was being used in the game. Oh, my goodness. Um, on the day that Gale Sayers scored his six touchdowns in one game, Paul Horning of the Packers had scored five touchdowns in that same day. That's nuts. Um, in the 1983 NFL draft in the one draft 1983, the bears chose Richard Dent, Jimbo covert, Willie Galt, Tom Thayer, Dave Dewerson, Mike Richardson, and Mark Bortz, all starters for the 85 bears. <laughs> um, and uh, the last two I have for the Bears in Super Bowl 20 um, that it took 16 plays before the Patriots got a positive yard and at the end of Super Bowl 20 the Patriots had rushed for 7 yards they gave 11. up seven. They clearly weren't up to the task. 11 carries for seven yards in the Oof. Super Bowl. Oof. Yikes. Here's another wacky baseball one I have. And you might know this story. The St. Louis Browns a team that existed in the shadow of the St. Louis Cardinals. Good old Bill Veck, who is no stranger to crazy promotions, decided to pull off one with a player named Eddie Goodell. Eddie Goodell three, was three, three foot, foot seven. seven. Yeah, huh? <laughs> the shortest player to ever participate in a major league game. Eddie wore number one eighth. That was literally his number made only one plate appearance in his entire career, and he walked on four consecutive pitches, and he was eventually replaced by a pinch runner. He was given stern instructions by Bill Vec not to swing, literally saying, I'm going to be up on the roof with a high-powered rifle watching every move you make. If you so much as look as if you're going to swing, I'm going to shoot you dead. Vec claims he took out a $1 million life insurance policy just in case. Oh my God. Yeah. I knew all the, the, you know, uh, the first part, I didn't know anything about the rifle part. I didn't know that either. Like I wanted to put in the Eddie Goodell thing. And then I kept reading. I'm like, what? Uh, so one more bears one that's about their logo. <clears throat> mm. So the Bears uh, is the the current C logo that they have mm-hmm. was actually the Chicago Cardinals logo. And when they moved out of Chicago, the Bears took the logo, changed the colors, and then used it as their logo. Nah, stealing it. It's ours now. It's mine. It's mine. So I have, I have one more final 
I, I shared all my Chicago ones. This is my final one that I want to share. And this is one where I figured I wanted to go, I wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I, I didn't really know much about, like, I, I kind of did research, like, what are some crazy sports stories that I didn't know about? And here's one. In July of 1933, Art Rooney Sr. paid the uh, 2500 NFL franchise fee, but his son, Art Rooney Jr., kept the franchise alive after two impossibly lucky days at the track. And, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, Pittsburgh here. The details are somewhat sketchy, but according to Junior's self-published autobiography, AGR picked up picked up as many as 11 straight winners in that two-day spree and won an undetermined amount of money, which may have totaled upwards to $380,000. Roy Blount, in his book about the Steelers and the Roonies, said it was probably the greatest individual performance in the history of American horse playing. Nobody has disagreed. The Steelers, at the time were called the Pirates, never had a winning season in the 1930s and were likely only kept afloat from Rooney's talents at the track. That's an interesting one. I'd never heard yeah, that before. I never heard that either. That's amazing. I have one last one. All right. And I feel like we go out with a bang with Harry Carey. Of course. Harry Carey used to enjoy telling people different years that he was born. And so when he passed, the Tribune ran an, an obituary stating that he was born in 1919. The Cubs media guide said he was born in 1920, but it wasn't until almost two decades after he was dead that they officially confirmed through, uh, through health records that he was actually born in 1914. Mm. So the, his employers didn't even know when he was born. Yeah, that's why I saw so many different varying dates like when they were doing tributes. Like, yeah, the WGN TV, they posted the graphic of him saying 1920 and there was one that said 1918. It's like, well, which one was it? And so, yeah, it, it is confirmed now that it was 1914. Yep, he was uh, confirmed to have been born in 1914 through social security records and health records. All right, there you go. All right. So I think we got to start giving out these awards. All right. How should we do this? Okay. Um, let's see. First, let's go trophy by trophy. We're going to save John Lackey's spittoon, the grand prize for last. First on the list, we have Marty Havlat Crock-Pot. Um, now, let's think about all the stories we told. Which one do you think would fit the Marty Havlak crock pot the best? Oh, the Marty Havlak crock pot. Um, I would probably go with, with 
Nikolai Miritich getting punched in the eye. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I love it. Because that was the sound Randy Randy Brown was making while he was on the phone calling Garpex. <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> What's going on down there? Oh. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We're giving that to Nikola Miritich. Next, we have Tony LaRusse's decrepit canvas faded stained patched TWTW bag. Oh, oh. Um, oof. Uh, that's got to be an injury one. Um, man. I'm going to go with Sammy Sosa sneezing because that's like an old man, an old man type uh, TWTW saying, and it's an old man thing to have hurt your back from sneezing. (laughs) All right. So TLR's TWTW bag goes to Sammy Sosa in the sneeze. Next, we have Sean's puking stilts. Oh, the puking stilts. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I think we go with Derek Rose sitting on a knife. Okay. All right. I dig. I dig. Because puking that, stilts go to D Rose. Because that could have easily been a, a super puke moment. Depending oh, on yeah. where that knife went. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whew, you know, if, know, if, you know, if he would have got a colonoscopy from his knife. Oh, oh God, you just had to say that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Benny the Bull's bag of stale popcorn. Ooh. Hmm. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'm thinking. I kind of feel like we got to give that to Glenn Allen Hill because like that dream chaos ensues when Benny the bull brings out his bag of stale popcorn. Okay. I can, I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay. So stale popcorn that goes to Glenn Allen Hill, the rotten pumpkin left over from Gallagher way. Um, man, the rotten pumpkin. Uh, just think about that just big deformed blob with flies buzzing around it. Man, what were the rest of the stories that you told? Eddie Goodell. Uh, I know that's senior. the the rotten tomato or the potato, the rotten potato, the rotten pumpkin. I'm gonna go with Chris Sale, and. And sitting there in his poopy diaper, cutting up, cutting up his jersey with scissors because he didn't didn't like the cut of it. That's perfect. All right. Chris Sale gets the rotten pumpkin from Gallagher Way and drum roll. John Lackey's spittoon, the grand prize, the Stanley Cup, the commissioner's trophy. I nominate crawling through the vents to try to replace the bat. Yeah, that is gold. Jeez. Jason Grimsley, didn't he pitch for the Cubs too at some point? He might have. I'm going to look up his uh, baseball reference page. I believe he did. 
Let's see. Jason Grimsley. Two-time World Series champion. No, he didn't. No, he did not. He played for Philly, Cleveland, the Yankees, the Royals, Baltimore, and Arizona. He won uh, two World Series championships, according to this. So that would have been uh, 99-2000 New York Yankees. That's probably where I know the name. But yeah, Jason Grimsley climbing through, and he's not a little man. He's 6'3, no. 180, and they sent him through the vents <laughs> to steal the bat back. His Wikipedia page Grimley, Grimsley is known for his leading role in the 1994 bat burglary involving Avril Bell and an allegedly corked bat that was taken away by umpires for examination. Grimsley was the player who crawled through the Comiskey Park air conditioning duct to reach the room where he confiscated where the confiscated bat had been secured. He looked the cork bag and replaced it with a clean bag. Not accounted for in this plan, however, was the fact that Bell's bat had his name on it and the replacement had teammate Paul Sorrento's name on it instead leading to the heist being caught before the end of the day. The incident made ESPN.com's biggest cheaters in baseball list at number four. The next season, he was used mostly as a reliever, making only two starts. So that's where that story ends. That is so funny. Oh, my God. I'm just picturing the, the, the plan that went involved. And they're like, Albert, you've got to go get that bat. No, I'm worried I'll get stuck in the vet and I'll never get out. To Jason, you gotta go. All right, I'll go. <laughs> he kind of looks. He kind of looks like Chipper Jones a little he bit. Does I'm looking at like I, I'm covering up the hat because the on Baseball Reference he's got a Kansas City hat on, so I got to cover that up because, and his face looks just like Chipper Jones. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I picture him as like this. I could be completely wrong about this. I don't know this guy. I don't know what he's like, but this kind of just, you know, typical, you know, proud, tough, but somewhat level-headed guy who's crawling through the vent, just swearing at himself every time he's crawling like, God damn motherfucker. Just, as he's crawling through the vent. And I just, I would love to be like on the other side of that duck, just hearing boom, boom, as he's crawling through. <laughs> oh. Good one, man. That was, you told that story. So congratulations. You uh, share the name along with Jason Grimsley on John Lackey's spittoon. <laughs> oh. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. We introduced some, uh, some comedic uh, ness into this to cover up for the bear stinkiness. Um, but uh, please make sure you hit subscribe. However, you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. Follow us on social media at Swirsky sports, facebook.com slash Swirsky sports, Swirsky sports.com uh, or Get your pencils out, alexanderjpatcreative.com, where you can follow Alex. Um, 
And do you still have Alex Pat sports chat on Facebook? Yes, I do. Uh, but uh, that is also linked through alexanderjpackcreative.com. That website is a creative portfolio of mine, all my podcasts, all my writings with Fansided and Alex Pat Sports Chat and many more. You could see all my works on this website. So yeah, check it out. Just uh, you, you want to see anything I've done, go to alexanderjpackcreative.com. Do you have your paintings on there? I do. If, if you may not know, but Alex is a very good painter. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, please share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. We thank Ditka and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on planes. Bears, 31, the negative 7. The Bears! Oh, when the bears go bearing down.